0: Heavenly Father, we, Lord, we stand here today only because of what you have done for us. And Lord, today we come to understand and to take hold of that living hope. The hope that comes because your buried body began to breathe, Jesus. That you broke the chains of sin and death. That you declared victory over that. And so Lord, we pray that today we would understand better what it means that we have a hope in you. And, Lord, that we would live that out in our lives on a daily basis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Take your Bibles. I hope you have one with you there. If not, grab one around or get your app up or look somewhere around you that somebody's got a device or something you can look on. And turn to First Peter. Now, if you have a physical Bible and you want to mark this, we'll be there for the next few weeks. I'm really excited about this series. I don't know that I've ever preached in my uh, almost 20 years of ministry, uh, pastoring. I don't know that I've ever preached a full series walking through the book of First Peter. But the Lord just led me there this week, partially because of a phrase that we just sang about, the living hope we have in Jesus, that phrase comes from first peter it 's right in the midst of the opening we 'll talk about it today in the opening um, greeting that Peter gives to the people to whom he 's writing and so take your Bibles and turn to first peter it 's near the back it 's after the book of James, Hebrews and James, and then first Peter, near the end, almost towards revelation and we 're going to spend a few weeks kind of reading, talking about looking at what Peter is saying to the church there, uh, or churches around an area of what is modern-day Turkey, that we're living in a particularly difficult time. So um, welcome in uh, to worship that has already been happening. Uh, Some of you weren't around. I did the welcome at the beginning. Just welcome in. We hope that you've had opportunity this morning to give praise and honor and glory to God. Through that, thankful for Jeff and Anne-Marie and the way that they led us this morning. I want to say a special welcome to a couple of groups here, uh, to you elementary and preschoolers. We're always glad when you join to join with us. Um, we know that... This week, there was news out there that uh, schools for uh, most of you or many of you have been canceled for the rest of the year, at least in class or some online stuff. And so welcome into this moment of worship. And whether you're excited about that or you're upset about that, we're glad that you are here. We're glad you're watching with your mom and dad. And I want to encourage you to continue to draw, to write down maybe some ideas. There's a sheet on our kids at home website that you can download and run off each week that's got a listening guide for, Um, while I'm talking or while you're in the worship to work through that. But some things I I would encourage you, get a blank sheet of paper, write down your favorite song that we sang today, write down any words that I say that you don't know quite what they are, and then you can ask your mom or dad about that. And then draw a picture of something that comes to mind while you're listening to the sermon today. I also want to say a special welcome to middle school and high schoolers out there, to our student ministry. Um, If you aren't connected to our student ministry right now, we'd love for you to be connected. Um, Anne Marie and Josh are doing a great job of connecting through Instagram. That's the best place to find out all the information, to follow along on our Instagram page there for Awakening Ministry, FBCG Awakening Ministry. Make sure you look through that. They've got a Zoom hangout tonight. If you've not been a part of our ministry or you have been, you haven't been around lately, I know they would love to see you tonight. I also want to say a special welcome to the parents that are watching, to the adults that are watching. Whether you're there by yourself at home or whether you're gathered with your family, we know that this isn't um, the ideal way to do church. And yet this is what we have. And so I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you leading your family. You, whether if you're by yourself, if you're just with you and your spouse, you taking the opportunity to watch right now, to, to be a part of what we're doing in our worship service and really appreciate what you're doing. First Peter, a book written to a group of people that were in the midst of a very difficult situation, that persecution was on the way. It's interesting as I read these books of the New Testament about persecution and difficulty, I read them differently in light of what we are going through now. And none of us are going through persecution for our faith, but we are going through difficulty that many of us have never experienced before. I was fascinated this week that in the midst of this time when it seems like so much is shutting down and so much is being lost and so much is hurt by what's happening, that there are some things that uh, research or the general news out there tells us are surging. Things that are growing, things that are, that are moving forward in spite of the situation we're in, some of them because of the situation we're in. For instance, one of the things that's surging right now is nostalgia. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Spotify, the music streaming service, put out a report in the past week or so that said that one of the things that has grown significantly on their website, so significantly on the app, is people making nostalgic playlists of songs from yesterday. For instance, the decade that has seen the most growth in the last two weeks in putting playlists together for people on Spotify is the 50s. The 1950s. It's interesting. They say some of that may be because some senior adults are at home and they're thinking about their day back then and they found Spotify. They get set up on Spotify and they're starting to make those playlists. But in fact, decades of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and the greatest musical decade of all time, the 80s, have all seen significant increases in listening over the last few weeks. People are watching older movies. They're going back and watching franchises from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, television shows from a while back. Disney Plus has seen a significant increase in memberships, not just because people are at home wanting something to watch, but because they have all the classic Disney movies on there, and they're being watched a lot. Nostalgia is growing. Another thing surging in the midst of this is searching for good news in the present, in the here and now. Google reported last week that the search for good news on their site is at an all-time high. In fact, since April, it has surged to the point where searching for good news is twice what it has ever been in the history of Google since 2004. Twice as many people every day are searching good news on Google to find something to give them just a glimmer of sunshine in the midst of a difficult day. TV star, movie actor, and director John Krasinski started a YouTube channel three weeks ago just to give some good news to people. He calls it some good news. And in the midst of that, of telling stories of healthcare workers and having a little girl who wasn't going to be able to go see the Hamilton Broadway show, having Hamilton zoom in and sing for her in that moment. In the midst of all of that, the show has become an instant success on YouTube. 16 million viewers of that first episode. Millions of views for even episodes that have come out since then, even one that came out just a couple of days ago. People are searching for good news. And the third thing that is surging in popularity, not only nostalgia, not only good news in the present, but hope. People are searching for hope. I don't know about you, but... I've never followed models and graphs so closely to see when that curve is flattening or beginning to dip down or what they're projecting two months from now. They haven't quite been right yet, but I keep hoping they're going to be right about it going down. I'm an optimist in those ways. Like hopefully it's going to happen. We're looking for things for vaccine candidates that still may be six months to a year to 18 months out, but we're, 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 those stories that come out, people latch onto them. They're the most shared stories on the internet. There may be a vaccine. A treatment from Israel is suddenly trending in America. Treatment from Chicago is trending. A treatment from San Francisco. A study that more people, like all of this hope is just looking at. We just want to know how this is going to end and when it's going to end. We need hope. One of the things I love about First Peter is that it is a book about hope. In the midst of very difficult days. See, we don't need (laughs) pretend hope. We don't need false hope. We don't need temporary hope. For us as human beings to survive, we need real grounded hope. I read a story this week of the highest-ranking naval officer that's ever been taken prisoner of war, or at least in the Vietnam War was taken prisoner of war. And he was prisoner of war for eight years, James Stockdale. Some of you may remember his name from politics a few years back, but he lived eight years in camp in North Vietnam. One of the things that he talked about in those eight years is that the people who lasted the shortest amount of time were the optimists who put hope in the wrong places. The ones that would say, we're going to be rescued by Christmas, and then Christmas would come and it would be over. We're going to be rescued by Easter, and Easter would come and it would be over. He said eventually they just gave up. He said what had to happen is you had to have a reasonable understanding of the circumstances in which you were, and you had to have a grounded hope in what could be. And this is what I want to tell you about the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to look through it. We're going to read the first 12 verses in just a moment and then dive into that today. Here's what Peter is saying to his people. It is tough. It is hard. The reality out there is that it is not something easy to walk through. And yet, we have a solid, living hope. A hope That's not desperate holding on to a failing dream. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. Founded on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus did shatter the gates of hell and the gates of death, those of us, who are his followers, will get to experience and enjoy the benefits of what he has done for us. And it is real, and it is attainable, and it is something that we can cling to in the midst of difficulty. A living hope. Because of that hope, we can face whatever comes our way. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And I know, no, he holds the future. And life is worth the living because he lives. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient, to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary... You suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Peter starts his letter here and he just begins to just pour out the reality of whose we are and where we are and the story of God's kingdom. And he wants to encourage them in the midst of this. This is your hope. In fact, right in the middle of that, that verse that is verse 3, where he says, "Bless be the God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, verses 3 through 12 is one long sentence in the original language. One long sentence. And the only main verb in the whole sentence is right here: Bless God. Bless the Father. Praise His name. Shout hallelujah to Him. Tell Him how great He is. Because He, in His great mercy, His great loving kindness, the word that is used there is the same word that's translated from the Old Testament to mid, His loving kindness that never fails, that never goes away, His all-encompassing, always going, steadfast love that He has for you and for me. Because of that mercy, not giving us what He does, what we deserve, but instead giving us the grace of life in Him. It says He has given us a new birth, a new identity. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. A new place into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God for the hope we have in Him. And then the rest of this entire section, what it does is it gives us the basis of that hope. So that's what I want to do with the time we have left today. I'm going to give you four reasons that as believers in Jesus Christ we have hope even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances we can imagine it starts off this letter telling us who wrote it it's peter An apostle of Jesus Christ, that's all he says about himself here. What's interesting about that is Paul, who wrote most of the letters of the New Testament, often had to defend himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because if you remember his story, and we talked about this a little bit last week, if you remember his story, then what we have is Paul was a guy that persecuted the church and came to faith in Christ. So people questioned his Apostleship because he wasn't with Jesus. Nobody ever questioned Peter's apostleship. The fact that he was who he said he was. Peter, if you remember, was the one born Simon, son of Jonah, who was one of the inner circle of Jesus, loved by Jesus, chosen by Jesus, directed by Jesus, taught by Jesus, rebuked by Jesus, forgiven, reconciled, and commissioned by Jesus after he denied him. On the night before he was crucified. This is the Peter who walked on the water. This is the Peter that declared. You are the son of God. To whom else can we go Jesus. We have nowhere else to go. This is the Peter who was the leader. Of the disciples. From almost the beginning of what we see. And he comes in the authority. Of one sent by God. Writing to a group of Christians. Who were being persecuted. Or on the verge of being persecuted living in what is modern-day Turkey. Most people think when Peter wrote this, he was in Rome at the center of what the Roman Empire was. It was just days, weeks, months, maybe a couple of years before Nero began his intense persecution in which Peter would be sacrificed, martyred for his faith. So Peter writing to these people who are experiencing the beginnings of persecution or in the midst of it tells them that they can have hope. And the first reason we have hope is because of our identity. Now he chooses a couple of words that are interesting here at the very beginning. Most people think he's not writing to Jewish people here. Most people think he's writing to Gentiles who had become Christians. And at the very beginning of that he says, to the chosen living as exiles. Those two words put together, or chosen exiles, or elect aliens, or elect exiles. It depends on what version you're looking at, what translation. Those two words put together give two pictures from the Old Testament of God's covenant people. When he chose Abraham, he made it clear that he chose him to be a nation of people that would show the world who God was and to take the glory of God to the nations. When he speaks of exile, it was often in the Old Testament referencing the wanderings of the Israelites, that they were people that were not quite home yet, that they were looking for a land. Even after they found the land, they didn't live as God would want. They got exiled to Babylon. And in the midst of that, they're longing for something more. The point that he's making about these Christians who are living in Turkey, what would be modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, he says, you are God's people. And this is not your home. Where do you get your identity from? What gives you your sense of worth, your sense of self, the sense of who you are? Is it what other people think of you? Is it what other people say about you? Is it the accomplishments in your life? Is it financial status? Is it your social status? Is it your friend group? Is it your abilities? Is it your health? well-being, what gives you your identity in life? According to what Peter writes here, the thing that we ought to look to for our identity is where we stand in relationship to God. Are we in a relationship with Him? Have we followed Him? Are we the children of God who have accepted the salvation that comes from Jesus? And he tells us in this passage how it looks, what that looks like, how we come into contact with who Jesus is, how we become part of this family. He tells us that in three phrases. He tells us that we became chosen or elect or part of God's family according to the foreknowledge of God. That is that God knows us intimately. Here's the reality. This word used here for God's foreknowledge is that it is personal and it is powerful, that he has known us deeply forever, that you are eternally known at the deepest level. No one knows you better than God. Even you don't know you better than God knows you. He has known about you since before you were born. He has known about you eternally even before you came into existence in time. Now, that means a couple of things for us. First of all, it is amazing to me that God knows me that intimately and still sent his son to die for me. Because even what I know of myself, I am not worth that kind of sacrifice in my own eyes. And yet in God's eyes, I am. The second thing that we know is because of what this foreknowledge means, is that God has placed you exactly where you need to be in the history of humanity. You are not here by accident. You are not watching this by accident. You are not living by accident in the moment of this pandemic, of things that others and other generations have never had to deal with, although there are generations past that had to deal with this as well in difficult circumstances, more difficult than our own. But you are specifically placed where you are right now, for a purpose from God. He has known about you from eternity past. And he has placed you here. That's the who. That does the saving. And gives us a new identity. How? What well, tells us in the next thing? Through the sanctification of The Spirit, the sanctifying work. Now, that's one of those big words, sanctification. It just means to be set apart as God's people. That the Holy Spirit, when we accept, we'll talk about Jesus, what he did for us in a moment. When we accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice for our sins, we believe in the resurrection from the dead. Then the Holy Spirit saves us, sets us apart. Now, sanctification can mean the ongoing work of God to make us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that is understood in some ways here. But at the base level, what it means is that the moment we accept who Jesus Christ is in our life, the moment we accept that forgiveness for our sins, the moment that he wipes away our guilt and shame, the Holy Spirit sets us apart as God's child, set apart for his purpose, holy in the sight of the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're giving new citizenship, new identity immediately. And then it tells us at the end there, the reason or the why, and that is, To be obedient to Christ because of what he has done for us by shedding his blood. The Old Testament imagery is here again. The Old Testament, in order for sin to be forgiven, blood had to be spilled. And it says, Christ's blood sprinkled on you saves you from your sin, forgives you from that debt, sets you apart into a new place. And that we ought to live for him because of what he's done for us. We have hope because Christ has completely changed our identity. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you accepted this new identity? Have you been made whole by him? The second reason we have hope, and this may be perhaps my favorite of the four that we'll talk about today, but I just love this one. We have hope because of our inheritance. Inheritance here is an Old Testament word reflection again that is ringing out the significance of God's promises to his people of a land and a nation and a people and to be the people God has called them to be. But what I love about this particular one is it gives us some understanding of that. It says in verse 4 that we have been put into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Undefiled imperishable, unfading, it will not rot or decay, it is completely pure, it will never become old or wither, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. What that means is this, now right now we may be going through difficult moments and there may be things that we don't understand, but God has already prepared for us an inheritance in glory that will never fade, that will never go away, that will be filled forever in our presence. Good news, hope, desire for things that are great will all, will all come at one point as we look to the future that God has promised for us. What it means is that this is not all that there is. That this is not the end. That this earth, that this moment, that this humanity is not the end game. That there is more coming. There is something else out there. That when this earth passes away, and it will. That when something, maybe not this virus, but when something takes you, when something comes for you, when that moment comes that your appointed time to end your life happens, when the end of your life becomes, that you know that there is something else beyond this. There is an inheritance for those that are followers of Jesus Christ that is awaiting for us, that is bigger and better and grander and more awesome than we could ever imagine. He makes that known even as he talks through the rest of this chapter about the time that is coming. That when Jesus comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ, there will be praise and glory and honor. That we will have this salvation that will be revealed in time. And it's not just the what Christ has done for us now, but what he will do for us. Can I tell you something that this virus ought to be doing for us? That this virus ought to be preparing us for? That this virus ought to be helping us to see? This virus, among other things, ought to be helping us to begin to see and to prepare and to make sure we are ready for the fact that Jesus is coming again. I just want to make a statement real quickly. I'm not saying that Jesus is coming right now. Or that he's coming at a certain date. I mean, Christians are notorious through history for picking a date that, even though Jesus says nobody knows the date, we try to pick a date. I remember when I was growing up, there was a book that got major traction. Some of you heard me talk about this book before, called 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. I remember I was 12 years old, and we talked about it in church, and people in my church weren't really big on it, but some people at our school, their churches were really big on that, and they were waiting for it. I remember about one Christian school that there was a three-day period in September when the author said that Jesus was coming back in 1988 on these three days. That's what he's pinpointed. And when he got there and he said these three days, he said, somebody said, I thought you didn't know the date. He said, no, Jesus said we didn't know the date. He said, he didn't say we couldn't know this three-day span. One Christian school that was really heavily involved in this, I heard the soccer coach knocked off practice that day 30 minutes early and said, we're going to sit on the bleachers and get ready for Jesus to come. Obviously, Jesus didn't come back in 1988. And undeterred, the author wrote a second book, 89 Reasons That Jesus Is Coming Again in 1989. That didn't happen either. So I'm not here to predict that anything's going to happen, like, right away. But I am going to tell you that it could. When the New Testament describes Jesus' second coming, it talks about wars and rumors of war. It talks about pestilence. It talks about famine. Those things happen on the earth a lot, but it seems to be ratcheted up in recent months and years. And he says that as those things start to really happen, what you'll see, what you'll know, what you'll understand is that they're the birth pangs, that they're the, 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 the birth Beginnings for the time Jesus will come again. and We need to be ready and we need to be aware. If you were to go to bed tonight and Jesus were to come, are you ready? One of the things this virus should definitely tell us is that none of us individually are promised tomorrow, that this virus could hit any of us, it seems, from different areas, and there are more susceptible, yes, but there's all over the age spectrum, and people are suffering from it, and you are not promised individually tomorrow. But one of the things that we must understand and proclaim as a church is, just as we are not guaranteed tomorrow individually that it will be the same or like life is now, we are not guaranteed that as a human race. Scripture says he'll come like a thief in the night. Thieves don't make appointments to come steal your stuff. It's unexpected. When's the last time you went to bed thinking it could be tonight? When's the last time you woke up and thought it could be today? Are you ready for the coming again of Jesus Christ? Third thing, third reason we have hope. We have hope because of our Defender. And our protector. It tells us right there in verse 5. I think this is fascinating. First of all, it tells us that the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance is being kept for us. Verse 5 tells us you are being guarded by God's power through faith and salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded, protected. There is an assurance. That because God is the one who saves, God is the one who defends and protects. And I want you to notice something. In verse 4, it talks about him defending our inheritance or keeping it secure in heaven. But look what happens in verse 5. It says not that he keeps us and keeps the inheritance in heaven, just that. It says, verse 5, that he guards us, you, that he surrounds us. That we can have assurance that God is going to take care of us, that God is going to protect us. And because of that protection, we can live through the difficulty of today and cling to Jesus. It says that because of that, we can rejoice, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief. He says, listen, I know that it's not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that this is a, a cakewalk of a life. I understand you're in some real difficulty. The truth is, we all live through that. We all lose loved ones. We all get lonely. We all get sick. We we have people that are poor. We have people who cry. We, We cry. We bleed. We hurt. We suffer. But he says, in relationship to eternity, it's a short time. It's a momentary snap. It's a blip. And he says what we're going to discover when we come out of this is the true believers, followers of Jesus Christ, will have their character revealed because God will use the circumstances that they are in to refine them as through fire into the people he's called us to be. How is God refining you in the fire of what we're going through right now? What is God shedding from your life that needs to be shed? What is God strengthening in your life that needs to be strengthened? My, my, my prayer is that whenever this is over, and we are praying, We're praying that it's sooner rather than later, that the human suffering that comes from this virus will end soon. We're praying that God would begin to work in a way through doctors, through physicians, through researchers, through scientists, through government, to make this go away more quickly than not. We're also praying that God, the owner and creator of this world, would in miraculous ways take care of this virus. But my prayer is, When I come out on the other side of this, whatever that looks like, whatever that may be, what other circumstances are, that God would have used this to refine me, to take away some things that I thought I needed that I don't need anymore, and to strengthen areas of my life that I need to follow him. And he says, and I love this, That when we get through the fire, and here he's talking about to them, it may be in the last days, it may come in your death. But that we will see him at the revelation of Jesus Christ and give praise and glory and honor to him by the way we live through it. And then he just says to him, and I love this, he says, and you haven't even seen him, and you love him. You didn't get a chance to watch him like I did, and you believe him. The point there is this. Can you imagine, for those of us that have never seen him, for those of us that didn't get to see him work, for those of us that had lived by faith in him, people ridicule us for that sometimes. We're called simple-minded or that it's a crutch. But can you imagine the joy that will be in our lives when we see him face to face? We have not seen and we love. We have not known and we believe. But one day, that sky's going to part and he's going to come with an army of the redeemed. And we are going to get to see our Lord. We are going to get to celebrate our Savior. Now, here's what I can tell you about my worship that day. I don't know about your worship that day, but my worship that day will not be soft. It will not be muted. It will not be sophisticated. It will be as David dancing through the streets with the Ark of the Covenant undignified because my Savior deserves the best that I have and I look forward to that day that now I cannot see but then I will see Peter says, trust in him to keep you through the storm. The last reason that we have hope. This is kind of a crazy thing that happens here in Peter. It's interesting to me. We have hope because of our privilege. Peter says that all the prophets tried to figure out when Jesus was coming. And eventually what they discovered is that they weren't figuring it out for themselves. They were figuring it out for the next generation or the generation when Jesus would come. But he says, but you now see and know. We may not have seen him physically. We may not have been able to watch him. But we have the stories. We have the writings. We have the completed works of God to us in order to tell us about him. And because of that, it is an incredible privilege for us. And then he adds at the end, just this strange line that says, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. As you can imagine, that's been a hotly debated thing. Angels aren't mentioned much in the New Testament. But here's what I believe is happening here, what I think is happening here. He's saying that that has been longed for since the beginning of time and that you get to live in the midst of the privilege of knowing the truth about who God is through Jesus Christ. There were people for generations, thousands of years before Christ came, who were longing for the day when they would be able to know him. And we have the privilege of being able to understand it. And to live in that salvation. He's going to use that to lead into what we're going to talk about next week, about how we live because of what Christ has done for us. But this week, let's just settle on the hope that is there. You know what I love about this passage? Remember those three things I said the world was searching for? Nostalgia, good news, and hope. When you think about that, really is a grounding in the past of something that was stable to them. It is an assurance that there are good things happening in the here and now, and that there is a hope that the future will be better than what we have. What I love about 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 12, is this. It assures us that our past has been secured because the God of eternity has known about it and taken care of it from the very beginning. That there is hope for the future because of what Christ is going to do, what Christ is coming again. And that we have an inheritance that is being protected right now for us that will happen when this is over. And there is good news, gospel, good news right here right now that we can live through whatever may be coming because Jesus Christ has died for our sins and has risen again from a grave that is a living hope and my prayer is that each and every one of you watching today right now have come to a place in your life where you've accepted the living hope the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sin the salvation that he offers. But I know. That with the number of people on the other side of the camera. That I'm looking into on your your devices. Your televisions. Wherever you may be watching. That there are people watching me today. I know this. That have yet to accept Jesus Christ as their savior. That have ex- yet to accept what he has done for you. That have yet to be forgiven. And can I just tell you. That no amount of nostalgia. Or good news. Or false hope from the things of this world. Will ever be able to give you what you need. Our only hope is Jesus. The living hope who rose again from the grave. So today if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. Then I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to plead with you to consider giving your life to Christ. Not for my benefit, but for the change in identity and protection and hope that is offered to you from Christ. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray with me. If that's you, if you need to accept Jesus Christ today, my prayer is that you will do it now, in this moment. There is no better time than the present. Again, I'm not about scare tactics, but the reality is none of us are promised another day. This may be your opportunity to accept Jesus. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I pray, uh, Jeff and I are going to come back up. We're going to lead in a couple of songs, singing the praises of the one who... Gave his life for us. But the most important thing you can do right now is to make sure that it is a settled fact in your life that you have accepted the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're watching today. Then my question to you is, how is God going to refine you in the midst of this trial? How is God going to refine who you are in the midst of this? What are you hoping to see pushed away, burned away by fire? What are you hoping to see strengthened into that gold? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray for those that are watching today, listening today, that you would give us wisdom about what it is exactly you're calling us to do. I pray, Lord, for those that are believers, that are followers of you out there, they know that's true. But, Lord, there are some things in their lives that they need to have burned away. They need to, to have taken away. Lord, that they, they, in the midst of this, they've realized some things they can live without. Lord, I pray that you give them the strength just to make those commitments to follow you. In our lives, those of us that are followers of you, that, that we need strengthened, that we need emboldened during these days. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll give us just the ability to, to see you work in in our lives, through our lives, in order to, to strengthen who we are. Lord, maybe there are some sins that need to be burned away. Maybe there are some thoughts, some attitudes, some actions that need to be burned away. Lord, maybe there are some attitudes and actions and disciplines that need to be strengthened. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us wisdom and clarity, those of us that are followers of yours right now, About what needs to happen in our lives. Lord I know that there are people that are listening. That are watching right now. That have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. And so Lord I pray that in this moment. You would let them know that that needs to happen Lord. That they would feel that uncomfortableness inside Lord. That they would feel what we call the conviction of your spirit Lord. That that stirring within them. That they need to do this. That now's the time. And Lord, I pray that you, through this moment, would save. If you're there and you're someone that's thinking about accepting Christ, you're wondering, why well, don't even know how to do that? And you just repeat this prayer along with me. Although, it's not the prayer that matters. It's the, it's the attitude of the heart. It's the decision, the will that's there. You simply admit to God that you are someone who is a sinner. That you have done things that are not right. That that is offensive to Him. And that you can't do anything to correct what's happened in the past. You ask God to save you because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life. Died for your sins on the cross. Paid the penalty for those sins. And then rose again from the grave. And then you confess That Jesus is Lord. You pray something similar to this. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I am a sinner, someone that has done things that are wrong in your sight, that are offensive to you, and I cannot pay a penalty to an eternal God for my sin. I cannot be perfect. But Lord, I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose again from the grave. And Lord, I want to confess right now that I need the salvation that comes from Jesus and ask you, Lord, to save me now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.